Crawling back to the light is what we're calling this segment. Should I have called it something else? <laughs> I think crawling is, is a good metaphor for your state of being. No, but people keep saying, well, you know, if there's a God, he doesn't expect, thanks, he doesn't expect you to, you know, crawl back. That's not the kind it's of not, God. It's and, not about God expecting you to crawl back. It's you. Yeah. That's the difference. Back in 2010, after seven years of hosting this show, I came out and admitted during an interview with Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias that I was no longer convinced that there was a God, mostly because after 30 years of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, quote-unquote, I realized that this God I was serving wasn't actually all that personal. So going public as a doubter, not an atheist, a doubter, and no longer considering myself part of the evangelical tribe of certainty, I left. I left organized religion, I left the church, and I left it up to God to reveal himself to me through one of those tangible encounters I kept hearing so many in my tribe speak about. Well, because of some fractured relationships in my world, me being the common jerk denominator, <laughs> uh, 2017 ended up being the worst year of my life. So I've decided that since my way didn't actually quite work out the way I thought, that it's time to crawl back to the light. And I've decided to once again do this publicly. Uh, as embarrassing as it is to admit personal and spiritual failure, my hope is that others uh, experiencing maybe similar frustrations might learn something from my conversations with, with a few people who have had a profound impact on my life over the years. Look, I'm still not sure that there's a God, but my life seems, it seemed to have been better when I, th when I did think there was a God. Know what I mean? Yep. So now what do I do? Well, last week we spoke to Bruxy Cavey, pastor at the Meeting House, author of The End of Religion. The week before that it was Kay Warren, uh, Saddleback Church Lady. <laughs> Saddleback Church Lady. <laughs> Well, isn't that special? <laughs> Who do you blame for the flat tire? Oh, I don't know. Maybe Satan? Yeah, Santa. Satan? Anyway, today's guest is Paul Young. He's best-selling author of The Shack and Lies We Believe About God. Uh, some of you might know The Shack because of the movie, The Shack. Uh, I remember watching a screening of that at E1 in Toronto, and uh, 14 Kleenexes is what I went through. Which is pretty good for you. And I, I, I sent him a text in the middle of the screening, and all I said was, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet here he is again on the show, Paul Young. Sir, how are you now? Hey. As they say up here. Uh, you know what? I, I are well. Thank yeah. you. Sounds like you're mobile. Yeah. Are you driving? I am. I'm heading to Safeway to pick up some stuff for enchiladas. <laughs> Safeway. There's a name I haven't heard in decades. Safeway. What do you like in and your enchiladas? Because that'll help me crawl back to God if we figure this out first. Oh, yeah, no. What What I like is uh, Kim makes a very good enchilada. He uses uh, Trader Joe's enchilada sauce, and she mixes it with, like, fresh chicken that we cooked, and then, uh, you know, sour cream and chilies and... and um, Cream of, uh, I think cream of chicken soup is what I really? went to the store for at the moment. Yeah. Wow. Well, I don't need, I don't need proof there's a God. That's a, that's an amazing enchilada right there. That's it. Okay. It was good that's to it. talk to you, Paul. That's All the best. That's what, that's the whole enchilada. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> yes. You had to turn your mic on to celebrate that comment, I, Tim? I did because I, I didn't want to drop the mic, but that would have been metaphorically correct. Paul, uh, you. Come on, brother. Paul, you know my story. Uh, you know more of my story than I actually want you to know. Um, and everybody does. Yeah. Uh, so I last week I, I had a conversation with Bruxy about what role pretending plays in faith. Because 
we're talking about worshiping or surrendering to or submitting or giving over to something invisible. And that requires faith. But how, how, how thin is that line between faith and pretending, do you think? So tell me about your relationship with your wife, because you're dealing with, with relationship and you're dealing with the whole idea of being known and knowing. And how much did pretending play a role in that relationship? And at what point did you take a, a risk? Because you're believing in something that is intangible, that is this union with another human being that is face, that is face-to-face. But it's a mystery, because it involves person. And so let's, let's take it out of the spiritual dimension and put it into a real human relationship. And you tell me, you know, how much did pretending play a part? Yeah, well, a couple things there. First of all, I've been instructed to not talk about uh, those sorts of things on the air because it involves somebody else, other people, and the other people don't want me to talk about them on the air. But, but I could still let's take a friendship then. No, but I can still I can still say that from from my role in that relationship, pretending uh, did play a part, and that ended up not not playing well. Good one, right? <laughs> Right, right, and and so. Talk, talk so, in other words, in other words, if I want the God thing to be to be a real and genuine and authentic kind of a thing, then I can't pretend. But in order to find faith, right. is not the precursor pretending? There's got to be an aspect of pretending. You know, there was a there's an article written. Uh, I don't know. I read it a few years ago that said there's a correlation between someone's imagination and their prayer life. Yeah. No. What does that mean? Uh, it means that people that can that have a good imagination have a good prayer life. Okay. Um, good dear. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, you're, you're, you've gone right to the core of this, and I'm glad we're talking about this. this is exactly where I want to go, Paul. I, I, if if I'm going to invest in what I what what evangelical Christianity sells as a relationship. Right? Christianity is right. not a religion, it's a relationship. Okay, it's a relationship. If I'm going to invest in a relationship, if I want a relationship, because I, I, I'm smart enough to know that relationships will only last if, it's, if, if the thing is built on authenticity and, and truthfulness and, uh, and not pretending. You can't shove so stuff, sweep stuff under the carpet. Okay, go. <laughs> I agree. So let's make a distinction between pretending and risk-taking, because every relationship involves risk. The risk of the authenticity. I mean, to be authentic is a risk, right? Yeah. And, uh, and to know another human being or another person is a risk. Uh, and I just think so much of, of what religion has done, it has masked over the simplicity of relationship with God by, by putting it in and shoving it into a category of, of religious spirituality um, rather than a person-to-person relationship. And, um, uh, but that so didn't what that didn't work for me, man. I tried thirty years of doing the personal relationship thing. No, you didn't. You tried religion. Ah, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I why are you? La- Tim's laughing at me. You're an idiot. I love it when people get you. But Tim, come on. You know that I'm. You thought you think for thirty years I was I was doing religion. Um, I think that you and I are are, are older and wiser now. And we are having trouble admitting that perhaps a good chunk of what we were doing was oh, religion. That's fair. That's fair. I hate both of you. Uh, I'm going to drop a mic. 
<laughs> you know, it's um, and and I had another question for you too. What what is a valid encounter that legitimizes a relationship with God for you? What would it what would it take? I mean, if if you set up, I want this encounter with God. Mm. What's, yeah. what's the benchmark beneath which nothing is acceptable? Okay, two things about that. One, I really desired a tangible, relational encounter with God, and people would say, "I've said to me, well, what do you mean? What are you looking for? What's, what, what's what? You know, benchmarker? Give us some some, some descriptor." No, I'm not putting anything else on that because I don't want to. I don't want to uh, uh, make my brain go a certain direction, and, and it went there only because I had the the uh, the definition all set up ahead of time, and also oh. I so so I don't want to be tricked. What? I said, isn't that safe? No. Right. <laughs> no. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, God. If there is a God, then God knows what is going to rock my world, and so he he can choose to show up in that tangible encounter way or or not. Uh, I don't want to put uh, pre-definitions, pre-definitions, sounds like a game show. <laughs> um, and then the second thing is, Paul, I'm at a point now where I, I don't even, that's just so yesterday. Uh, I don't, I just don't care anymore. I, I, I feel like I have no choice but to crawl back, whether I have some tangible relational encounter with God or not. Because here's the okay. thing, and the crawling thing, I've said this before, the crawling thing is a is an important um, example or analogy or whatever because it's really hard to crawl. I think I said this to you before. It's really hard to crawl with a giant backpack filled with yeah buts. I agree. So I've had to get rid of all that. I, expectations of God, yeah buts. I mean, after you, I've got uh, Dan Barker on the show, former evangelical preacher turned atheist, and and I'm sure we're going to talk about yeah buts, and it's going to be it's going to be weird swimming in that in those shark infested waters again. <laughs> So, so what is what is sparking your heart? What what kinds of things are are getting past your watchful dragons? Because you've got a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, so, what are the things um, that 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 impact you beyond your ability to just analyze it logically? Uh, because you're talking about. This is not just a logical situation. That's where we've been stuck so much in the West. Yeah. You know, and that's been true in my life, is that I, I just tried to become smarter or appeared smarter as a way to, as a way to cover the woundedness of my own soul. And, uh, and yet things kept breaking through. And so my question is, what kinds of things break through for you? For me, um, it's children. It's watching someone be kind to another human being. That breaks through for me. It's like um, uh, being in a, the first snowstorm. Uh, it's like uh, uh, being around my grandbabies, hmm. you know, and seeing a response. There's there's things that break through that are of a quality that is not contained within rationality, and um, and and we get surprised by them. Sure. The, even if joy isn't a constant companion. It still shows up, and so where are you surprised? Yeah, well, uh, most recently, the the thing that is that has helped uh, the, the the breaking through or the surrendering or the um, 
let's see, what is the actual words on this? Oh, look, man, it's pretty simple. I'm a broken dude, and the loneliness is loud, and yeah. and the darkness is excruciating. Yeah. Not to sound like some Enneagram 4 melodramatic, you know, putts, but that's what I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so I left to the relational vacuum that I'm now living in. It has forced me to, it's dropped me to my knees and, and jerked my head upwards. Yeah, I hear you. So there's that. Prior prior to that or along with that would be the odd thin place that I that I find myself in. And I'm sure, I'm sure I've irritated people because I talk about this all the time. But you know, C.S. Lewis would talk about how the Celts talk about thin places and geographical places around the earth where the gap between the creator and the creator gets really thin. And the thinnest place that I've come across is as a hospital chaplain when I'm in a hospital room with someone who will be dead soon or is dying in front of me. And that that is the kind of stuff that I just go, all right, all right, this is... Um, this is transformational to everyone in the room. What's behind this? Yeah, exactly. And uh, the Celts always talked about death as the thin place. Yeah. And, um, and um, um, a week, let's see, it's been uh, a week and a well, a little over a week since um, I buried my mom. And, uh, and I mean, she was 90, and she was uh, ready. She'd been ready for some time. You know, she... Um, the the other side was much more tangible to her than this side uh, of the thin place. And it is. To be around that environment uh, in which lies should never be told, there is all kinds of things going on inside the human heart that are not logically consistent, you know, and um, but are real. And so I, I get that. And I also am very aware that it's, the recognition of our brokenness that allows for the possibility of movement. Um, when, when we're faking, like you would say, when we're covering up or, or pretending, um, there, that we have no place to move from. You know, all we are doing is trying to cover up what's not actually true. Okay, but, but here, so, is, what, here is the crux of, the, of this conversation for me. You know, Mike Iaconelli wrote Messy Spirituality, and, and something he talked about a lot was that there's no room for pretending when it comes to spiritual growth. Pretending is the oil that allows us to keep the illusion of relationship. Right? So so when it comes to this relationship with God thing, well, I don't want to pretend, but maybe I have to do a little pretending in order to get to the next step, you know, fake it until you make it kind of thing. And yet, well, there's a difference. I think there's a huge difference between <clears throat> pretending. I wouldn't have used what uh, what Iaconelli said. I would have used the word religion versus relationship. And and I think so much of our lives, especially those of us who grew up in in Western Christianity, we've identified our religious experience as relationship. Right. It really wasn't. And and the evidence of it is that we're not good at relationships outside of that relationship. And um, and as whole people, uh, we have to begin to move forward and say, look, you know what I've had is not, that doesn't qualify. It, there's no trust involved. There's just a, a sense of, of addiction to logical certainty. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so this, this is about the risk of learning how to trust, but to trust who. And, and, and now you're getting into arenas where we talk about, you know, is God good? 
is God good? What questions does that raise up? Am I allowed to ask those questions? Yeah. Of course you are. Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, oh, so does God have a low view of, of humanity or a high view? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, what's coherent? What are the deepest aspirations of my own heart? Are they for deception, for brokenness, for, uh, you know, uh, relational ruin? Of course not. Um, the, uh, the drive that's within us that's far more profoundly toward authenticity than it is for dishonesty. And even biologically, there is something that is released when we are authentic between our outside and inside worlds that is absolutely at war when we are covering up and faking it or pretending. And, and all of these things point to, you know what, we are far more grand a creation than, than we have allowed ourselves to believe. And, um, and I think, that, you know, some of those things are at the heart of these kinds of, of movements. Why doesn't God just change our minds for us? Well, because God has too high a view of who we are as human beings. And frankly, the movement toward atheism is often a movement toward growth, because the God that we believed in was insufficient. Hmm. Or, you know, you, you, and that's a Brian McLaren thought, you know, that every move toward um, a more authentic relationship with God has to move through some form of atheism, because you have to deny the God that you once believed in. And... Um, Wow. And, you know, all of those things play a role. Wow. Well, again, all I know, man, I've been saying that a lot lately. All I know is that I am sitting here without uh, much of a relationship with God and without a whole lot of personal relationships that I used to have. Um, and so I don't like this brokenness. I don't like this loneliness. I don't. I don't like it at all. So it well, just you don't like it, the ambiguity. Dude, I'm a professional ambiguity specialist. <laughs> uh, what? I don't like the ambiguity. No, what do you so mean? Not, yeah, no, no. You you like the certainty of being in a place where you have a sense of control. And and ambiguity and mystery are are elements that take away our sense of of control. And they're and they're fundamental to relationship. So the, the ambiguity is, in, is not in the certainty of, of knowing rationally, but, but in the taking the risk of love, taking the risk of conversation, taking the risk of openness, taking the risk of, of, of dialogue, of prayer, of, of, uh, of just this, this openness to what the day holds, and, and asking God, all right? Open, open my inside eyes so that I can begin to participate w- with life as a more whole human being, not as a religious person, you know, as someone who wants to know what it is to be fully human and fully alive at, you know, at whatever cost. You know, as long as I've known you, you have challenged me with that control word. I remember one time you said to me something about the fact that, it, you know, it's safer for me to hide behind a microphone because I can have control. Uh, during the show, kind of, but there's something like that, you know. And um, yeah. and at, and at discovering where I'm at these days a little bit more, I can see that control is has been a has been something that has been toxic to relationship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't see that as much as I see it now. I mean, you know, I, I spent so many years 
trying to play the role of victim. No, succeeding at playing the role of victim, just so I could be right. Right. And and victims, they just blame. Yeah. Blame whatever you know, and and. But that's all based in in in, in ego based control. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know a lot of people who will not believe that they are a a beautiful creation and a good one because to do that would require change. Yeah. And it's better to believe that I'm a piece of crap and have justification for my actions in life so true. than to take the risk than to take the risk that I am a good creation that I actually am trustworthy and faithful and pure of heart. But it's all been covered up by a whole bunch of gunk and lies and things that I've chosen to believe about myself for control or whatever reason. You know, control this is why religion is so much more attractive than relationship, because you don't have to trust anybody with religion. You don't have to take any risk. As long as you know what you're supposed to do, and you can either do it or cover up the fact that you're not doing it so well, mm. but present yourself well, then that, that becomes a substitute. And it's, I tell you, it's attractive, but there's no life in it at all. And uh, the movement of the Spirit in your life that to me is obvious, and I think many that love you, is that this kind of shift that's happening is a good one, and it's a freeing one, and it will allow you to become more human. Uh, and the kindness that is true about you as a human being will begin to emerge more and more into the relationships that are around you. But it's an arduous journey, this, and this requires your participation, which, you know, victims, they don't have to participate. They, they just... <laughs> They can just blame something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... And you know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, you know I love you. And, and, uh, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not telling you anything that has not been central and mattered to me. Yeah. You know, control is... I'm a control freak in terms of my history and background trying to cover up all the things that I believed about myself that turned out not to be true, but they, you know, they gave me a place to hide. And, uh, and then they, you know, the poisons of them all leaked out and damaged the relationships in my life. So, you know, to, to learn how to trust instead of control, man, that's been a lifelong journey for me. And it's been incremental and piece by piece worked out. Um, and I'm not there a hundred percent, but I'm, I'm there way more than I used to be. What is what is dangerous about this equation? My life seemed to be better when I thought there was a God. When I leaned into my doubts, life went down the toilet. So now it's time to crawl back to God. What's dangerous about that equation? <laughs> because the opposite can be exactly true as well. Ah, I know a lot of people who grew up inside of religion who could say the exact opposite. Like, oh, as soon as I gave up all this God stuff, my life started to have coherence, and things got a lot better. So that's part of the danger in, in terms of, of, of basically that sort of syllogism. And, um, uh, you know, but it's, a, it's an honest statement, I think, um, and for that it's helpful. Uh, but again, it can easily be flipped. Okay, so finally, I think I said that already, but let's say finally, finally. Um, if, if you were me, knowing what you know about me, 
give me one thing that I should do when it comes to crawling back to the life that you think would be helpful to do, your advice, and one thing that I should be careful of when crawling back to the light? Mm. Mm. Um, be a therapist. I think that's one good thing. That's what Tim's here Is for. That, yeah, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Yeah, really, really. Uh, thanks, Eeyore. So, um, let's see. Because you've got to have a place to explore why you're stuck in the places you're stuck. And uh, so I think that's helpful. One thing to be careful of is that you don't shift it into another conversation. And that, you know, that you, you slow it, you slow the process down enough to actually be involved in it and not just talk about it. Really, really, really good point. That's so me. Right, that's a fair assessment, don't you oh, think, yeah. Tim? You, you always use that ADD quote. I think that's a lot truer than you uh, like to admit. No, it's, it's, it's safer in a conversation than it is. It's safer. The, a, a, a conversation about relationship is safer than relationship. Oh, I know a lot of people who are experts in the conversation, and their their marriages are going to hell in a handbasket. Their kids are 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 not talking to them. I know a lot of people like that, where, you know, but they can say the right stuff. Hmm. So the the danger is that we get really good at saying the right stuff, and uh, and and not actually living in it in such a way that it begins to change us. Well, next time we talk. Um, hopefully you'll have some time this week and we'll catch up. I would like to explore with you uh, what, because I get the concept of that, you know, it makes sure it's not just the conversation that you're, you're sticking in, you're living in, you're, you're, you're dwelling in. I get the concept, but what does that look like practically? I, you know, does that mean going to church? Does that mean home group? Does that mean reading my Bible daily? Does that mean listening to Keith Green? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, no, it might, but I, I don't do any of those things. And it, and it hasn't meant that for me. Yeah. It, it's meant, it's meant learning how to ask for forgiveness. It's meant um, working it out in terms of, like I said, the therapeutic community has been very helpful in my life. It's, it's meant taking the risk of a conversation of, of actually having one with God and saying, here's, here's where I think I am. And I, gi I give you my desire for authenticity, but I don't know how to get there. I mean, simple things like that. Yeah. It's um, allowing people into those spaces. And one of the things you do really well, Drew, um, and you can mask it over. I mean, you have that tendency, but you do let people into the conversation. You've let me into the conversation. And, um, and, and in such a way where uh, I, I think that most of the time you actually are listening to, to what's being said to you. And, um, you know, it takes a while to get through because you've got, you've got years of... I've got years of yabats. Yeah, exactly. Scar tissue. Right. And it, and it takes, takes a while to work through the scar tissue to get to something that's still living and breathing. And, uh, mm -hmm. But it's there. Paul... Um... Thank you for... You're welcome. No, you know, you know. Thank you for... I do. You have I been know. there for me, like, a lot. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. 
How honored to be there. Holy ground. Yeah, kind of feels like it, actually. Thin place. Yeah. Thin place. All right. Well, good luck finding the cream of chicken soup. I'm heading in there now. All right, man. Are you going to Trader Joe's right now? No, I safely. did Trader Joe's. I should have got the cream of soup there, but I got the enchilada sauce there. Oh, okay. I love Trader Joe's. Mm. Such a great store. Two buck chucks. Cheapest bottle of wine in the world. Oh, nice. Two bucks. All right. Um, yeah. Well, Paul, we'll talk again soon. Thank you for being part of the whole crawling back to the light discussion. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Absolutely. Love you, man. Love you too, Paul. See you, dude. Bye. Bye.